welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Let's say happy Mother's Day to them. I want to read a verse that um, that sometimes we don't see it in its full context. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, I want to read these two verses. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now I want you to stop there. Now the Bible talks about, it's starting off Proverbs to guide us through how Proverbs works. And one of the ways Proverbs works is just to teach us to, to stand in awe of God. In other words, to fear God means to take him seriously. Now, everything in Proverbs is going to teach us how to take God seriously. Right after it says take God seriously is the fear, is, is the beginning of, of wisdom. It says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching. So an application of taking God seriously is listening to your mama. Somebody ought to just lay in on that right there. Listening to your mama. <laughs> they said, I wish my kid was in here right now. Um, but, but how many of you uh, did some dumb stuff, listen, listen to mama, and then it took you some time to know that she was the smartest person that God ever created? <laughs> and um, this, this verse lets us know that you can avoid a lot of fools and foolishness. If, if, if you listen to, let me qualify this, a godly mama. There's a difference. You know, we got these new mamas on TikTok. We talking about the old mamas. Amen, amen. One, one comedian said the day of the praying grandmother is over. I was like, Jesus, we're we gonna, we gonna rebuke that spirit right now. And we're gonna resurrect, we're gonna get rid of, we're we gonna, uh, we gonna say, all y'all, all y'all gonna be godly grandma, big mamas. Where my, where my big mama soon to be gonna be? You're gonna be chewing some gum, rocking in a rocking chair, with something you knitted on your lap, and a book in your hand, and a Bible in the other, with, with, with the lamp right there. That's how you know you're a mama right there. And you just tell it, and your window right there, you can look outside and tell people what they shouldn't be doing, and 
teach some people while they're sitting at your feet. That's what we're looking for, amen? So today, we're going to start that legacy with married and single women. So today, um, I told Assault that from now on, uh, Mother's Day belongs to Salt. So that means they got to run Sunday morning as it pertains to the, the teaching, preaching time that they come up. And so, uh, and the men, a new man is going to own Father's Day. So, uh, ladies, will you take your seats? We have Dr. Sarita. We have Mom Dale. We have Dr. Bridget. We have Sister Sarah. We have Sister Pascal, Sister Mary, and Dr. Tiffany Gill. Why don't you give God a hand praise for them? Now, they said they wanted me up here. I don't know why I'm up here. Because I could have just sat and listened, but I'm going to sit beside these women of God and my sisters in Christ right. as they minister to us and invest in us this morning. Let's go before the good God of heaven. Father, thank you for this time as we celebrate motherhood and womanhood. Help this time to be refreshing, informative, and transformative. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. Now I hand it over to our moderator for this morning, Dr. Sarita Lyons. Good morning, Epiphany. Such a blessing to be here. We want to start by thanking Dr. Eric Mason, our pastor, for this wonderful opportunity. Uh, don't think this is normal everywhere, so this is a blessing, and we praise God for the space to come before you all today. And we have some wonderful women who are going to represent God well and hopefully, prayerfully, be a blessing to you. So we're going to jump right in. Amen? And so I want to toss this first question to Dr. Bridget. And I want you to just start by unpacking for us why women are an essential part of God's redemptive plan. And if that is true, we believe it is, how can they, how can we walk out our God-given purpose to the glory of God? Amen. Good morning, church. Amen. Um, when we think about when God created, right? God created Adam and he said it was not good for man to be alone and he wanted him to have a suitable companion. And then right after that, he goes on to create the animals, but then he still sees that man does not have that suitable correspondent or companion, right? And then woman is created. And so the fact that God creates woman in the creation story lets us know that women are essential. But one of the things that really gets me about God is he didn't need us, right? God already has everything that he needs, but he still chose to create human beings and in creating human beings, name them man and woman. And so we, um, as women, have always been an integral component of God's great plan for creation and for redemption. And then when we tie that into our purpose, that lets us know that no matter what we do, he created us with purpose, in purpose, and on purpose. Amen? So there's something that he put in you, woman of God. Doesn't mean that you have to teach or preach or counsel. I said earlier, it might be washing dishes, it might be writing a book, it might be raising the kids on your block, but there was a reason that God saw fit when he allowed you to be born and live in the earth. Amen. Anyone else want to add to that? Why, what is, what, why are we essential and how can we live out our purpose? I think it's important to keep in mind that both men and women were formed in the Imago Dei. So as a woman, you are a reflector of God's very image. 
That is what we are called to be on the earth. We are called to be life givers in all sorts of ways. We are called to, to show off the very image of God. And so that shows us that from the beginning, it wasn't an afterthought. This is the God that heals women. Jesus walked with women. Jesus had female friends. Jesus healed women of menstrual disorders. Jesus healed little girls, right? He went to Samaritan women. He came to sinful women, women who were avoided and discarded. And Jesus created us, and he redeemed us. And we have a big role to play in his ultimate redemption. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Satan is really tricky. And um, he, he, he loves to try to take glory away from God. Like, that's what he exists to do. Um, and so one of the ways he does it is having women seem as second-class citizens. But what I find very interesting is that when Jesus rose from the dead... It wasn't his 12 disciples who greeted him at the tomb. The person he appeared to first was a woman. And it was the women who ran and said, he's alive. So let's not fall prey to that. And I think when we think about the ultimate idea of redemption, we see from the very beginning in Genesis when God is cursing the serpent. He tells him, I will put enmity, beef, between your seed and the woman's seed. You will bruise her, his heel, but he will crush your head. Yeah. So you see, even though the woman fell with Adam and sinned against God, he still had her being a godly vessel in mind to bring forth redemption. And so it is important for us to understand that we, even as the church, centuries later, are still carrying with us the innate purpose to, be, to bring Christians, little Christ, into the world to begin to do the demolition on the agenda and plan of Satan and represent the one who at the cross crushed his head. Amen. Amen. So with that in mind, I wanted to move on, um, and I want to toss this one to Mother Dale. <laughs> Tell us why mothers are so important to their children and the community. Uh, I have a question to ask the audience. How many of you are here because of your mother? Or on this earth because of your mother? (laughs) I should rephrase that. How many people are on this earth because of their mother? Everyone should raise their hand. Without a mother, we could not be born because the originator of life starts in us. And so that should um, make what our role is so much more important. Um, when I think of a mother, I do think of a, a picture of a, a wheel with a center, and that center has many spokes coming out of it. That might be the children and her other roles. And all of those spokes are different. They all have different um, desires, different situations in their life, different roles they're going to play, different emotions, yet they all run to that mother to be nurtured, uh, take, uh, cared for, uh, 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 taught, um, groomed, uh, just to be there. I, I listed also some things that mothers do. Um, there we go again. I'm not, I'm not savvy, that savvy. But what mothers do for their children. Um, they raise children, they love unconditionally, they are present with you. You may be in a situation and everyone is surrounding you, um, um, there to support you, 
But as that situation goes longer and longer, you'll look around and maybe only your mother is the one standing. Now that's a personal testimony. I won't say well, who is it about, but it was a mother that was still there shaking in her boots <laughs> because all others had left to take care of other things. A uh, mother will stick by you. Uh, a mother desires the best for you no matter what, willing to sacrifice her time, finances, energy, and lack thereof on you. Uh, compassionate about their children, um, what, how, who they are, uh, what they do, and what they are going to become. They're loyal and they're truthful. Um, another, uh, what I, the blessing to me in being a, a mother is that first of all, I'm a Christian mother. God has saved me by his precious blood and filled me with his Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, they used to say where I used to worship. And then I had a mother who filled me with the word of God. So I, I, it's not only um, that you're a mother, but a Christian mother can have so much more of an effect on her children. You know what I say to the Lord? I may not be able to teach it like I want, but I can live it. I can live, be slow to speak, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I can live um, if any, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the verse that I always go to. If you're um, heavy, and take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I can live that in front of my children. Um, I can live trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Um, the, it came back to me, if you're weary, you can go to God because he is there to comfort you, to, to aid you and sustain you. So mothers, we want you to become mothers after you're married, hopefully. But even if you are a mother, what I want you to do is fill yourself up on the word of God. And the spirit of God will ignite that word to live out God's uh, life, God's purpose for you and for your children. Amen, amen. amen. Um, I wanted to ask the, the panel, what are some of the struggles and pressures that mothers face today? And what godly encouragement, what wisdom from God's word would you give them? Well, I would say, um, especially in this technology day and age, um, we are succumbed to comparison. And that brings about pressure because we see on social media, we see someone who looks like they got it right. And when you feel like it's falling apart for you, you think that you're doing something wrong. But the problem with that is we're just seeing highlight reels. They're not showing us the meltdown that happened at Target on aisle six when you breezed past the toy aisle. <laughs> and it was Teddy Roosevelt that said that comparison is a killer of joy. So the point is that when we compare ourselves to others, we, um, we lose something in that. And we really should be walking in gratitude for what God has given and depending on God for strength. Because in reality, the truth is motherhood is hard, but it's a noble work. 
And it teaches you to depend on God for everything, to lean on him for everything. So that's the advice I give, that it's a sanctifying work to be a mother because you're being stretched in new ways. And you also see where you fall short. But in where you see you fall short, you can then identify it and bring it to the Lord in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit, strengthen me in this area. Help me with my patience. Help me with my long suffering. I need your help, O oh Lord. And I also want to encourage the mothers, because sometimes you might come to a point where you're like, am I even fit for work? Like, is this even for me? What have I gotten myself into? But you need to know that the Lord knew you and your child before the foundation of the world. It's no mistake that that soul was assigned to you. So in you being assigned to care for that child, God is going to equip you and give you everything you need for that individual. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And if anybody wants to jump in, feel free. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about in the last question was, what, how does a mother have influence on her home and child and community? And so there is this thing that we need to grab hold of in the church called spiritual mothering and discipleship, where we are caring for people um, that did not come from our own womb. And I, and I like to say, for women particularly, since that's what we're talking about, if the only people you ever mother are the people that you birthed, then you have missed the grand plan and beauty that God had in mind for mothering. And so someone talked to me about spiritual mothering and discipleship. Sister Mary, and why that's so important. Spiritual mothering is biblical. Um, the Bible says the older women are supposed to teach the younger woman. How does that happen? Through spiritual mothering. Um, the, the thing about spiritual mothering, though, is, you know, I don't get to choose my children. I love y'all. <laughs> Jesus gave them to me. He also does give me disciples. However, my spiritual children have to choose that discipleship. Um, so um, what is the meaning of discipleship? A disciple has been shown to be someone who follows the teachings, life, and aim of another until the person becomes like the master. Discipleship in a Christian sense is the process of making someone become like Christ. The disciple of Christ is to become like Christ in everything. So when I'm spiritually mothering someone or um, discipling someone, I'm basically inviting them into my life so that they see the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, they don't just to get to see my house when it's all done up, like when I've told the kids, come on, we got an hour, they're about to be here, let's put everything together. Hopefully, they're coming over maybe just sporadically to say, hey, I'm having a rough time, I need to talk with them, and I'm walking them through the word. And they're getting to see my life and see how even in my mess-ups, I'm learning to turn to the Savior so that he can fix it. But I just want to be clear, discipleship isn't just, you know, being up under someone, having them come over, and we cook together, and we do laundry. That's not just disciple-making. Disciple-making is when you're in the throes of ministry together, and you're serving God, that's when the real stuff happens. Because if you look biblically speaking, Jesus' disciples were in ministry with him. Timothy was in ministry with Paul. And as they were encountering different things... 
that happened, that's when T Paul was able to, to minister to Timothy. You know, don't let anyone defy your youth. You know, like these nuggets came. And then the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing, is that later on, Timothy was able to encourage Paul. So that's what happens when there's good disciple making, good spiritual mothering. Uh, what do you all believe are some of the major issues women are struggling with today or concerns that women have, and how can the church help navigate women through that? Dr. Tiffany. Okay. <laughs> Be ready in season. <laughs> Out of season. I mean, I think there's so many issues, and it's rooted in our identities. I mean, I think we all can look at all of the issues that women are facing, and it's about how do we discern our identity? Are we taking it from the world? Are we taking it from other places? Or is our identity so rooted in who we are, in Christ, and what his word says? That's what it really is. And I think even for those of us that are striving in every way to, be, to look more like Jesus by the power of his spirit, I think one of the biggest issues is confusion that there's so many voices, right? I mean, literally, we carry voices with us in our phone. I mean, you can look at anything and see just the onslaught of everyone who wants to tell us who we are. And then our own flesh is trying to tell us who we are and who we aren't and what that means and who's better and who's not. And so what we need, most of all, in this confusion, right? How do we live as a believer in a society, in a world that is completely antithetical to everything God stands for? How do we exhibit Christ in that? What do I do with my longings and my desires and waiting on God? Those answers can only be answered by God himself through his word. And so I think confusion is probably one of the things that we are dealing with, confusion, particularly over our identities as women. Amen. Um, so let's go from to here with Sister Pascal. What does it even mean to be a woman? And, and how do we define womanhood from a Christian worldview and how that differs from uh, the world's view of womanhood? Well, I think ultimately we find our definition of woman in the Bible. Um, God created us, so therefore he is the only one that is allowed to define us. So like, we have social media that tells us a woman is this or whatever. Or, or like we have tradition that tells us women only wear dresses or women only like pink or whatever. But all of that is extra. Um, I think the Bible is where we should park and we should look to the Lord who made us to define us. And what does the Bible tell us about what it means to be a woman? Anyone? Some specifics. Well, one thing for specifically, um, when we look at when God made woman, um, he, when he's talking to Adam and saying, saying, it's not good for you to be alone, I will make you a help meet, the word um, help is actually the word uh, either, and meet, meaning suitable, was connecto. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of times when people hear the word will help, they just reduce it to a domestic, like low grade, like maid-like type of um, calling. But actually, the word easier for, for help is a dope word. 
Because if you look at the definition of it, it's actually the same word God uses for himself when he tells Israel that he will be a help, a rescuer. And we're talking about a military type strength that comes from God. It is a help where you can't even help yourself. So we're talking about a help where Adam couldn't even help himself. And God is saying, I'm going to make woman to help you. So then I looked and I thought, well, why would a military type strength be needed for Adam? (laughs) Well, the reason why was because there was an enemy in the garden and God was addressing the need. So it was Eve's job to have Adam's back. And that's what the call of woman is. And when we say like, you know, like having his back, we're talking about, you know, praying, discerning, encouraging him, meeting that spiritual need. And it's not just reduced to uh, a calling just for a wife role, but this is what Eve was built for before God presented her to Adam. We are made and equipped with this kind of strength. So we shouldn't just look at the, 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 the definition of help in such a low regard, but seeing for how God truly made us wonderfully and fearfully made in his image. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister Sarah. And kind of piggybacking off of what Sarah brings up, I want us to talk for just a second about gender roles, because that's a hot topic oftentimes in the church and in the world. So uh, Dr. Bridget, are gender roles archaic? Or are they relevant for us based on what God has prescribed and wills for women? And, and where do we look to that in the scripture? Yeah, amen. And so I want to challenge us to be careful of just throwing away gender roles, right? I think a lot of times we talk about it and it's in a negative connotation because people have made things scripture that are not scripture. So there's nothing in the Bible that says the woman is to wash the dishes and the man is to cut the grass, right? Like that is man stuff, human being stuff being added onto the word of God. But there is a clear delineation, right, in order, let's say, for a household or for a community or for the house of God as we're in church now. And so there are ways where we are called to do different things. And I love how Sarah shared about the military strategy. And so you may be the one preaching, but if I'm the one behind you covering you in prayer, right, and building you back up when you come down from the pulpit, amen, Pastor Mac, that hit his spirit. Um, then that doesn't mean that I'm a weaker vessel or have a lesser role. And so we want to be really careful to unpack scripture and read it for what it says and understand the context in which it was written because sometimes people will go and they'll take the writings, right? They'll take some of the epistles and they'll say, oh, well, you're not supposed to speak. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. And that was for a particular audience. Um, And I had shared earlier, ladies, there is liberty that comes in submission. So with the man being, let's say, head of home, he is submitted unto God. We submit to him. He also submits to us because Ephesians says, submit ye one to another, right? But in that freedom, as he follows Christ, and I shared earlier, I'm engaged, I'm getting married. So, yes. Um, But as a soon-to-be wife, right, as my fiance, soon-to-be husband follows Christ, as I am following him, the role in that is a protective role. 
right? There, there is protection, there is covering, there is honor. And so we don't wanna look at it to say that it's something that's bad or negative. And then because the management of a household is not prescribed in scripture, then that's where you and your children, you and your parents, you and your mate, whoever is there with you, you say, okay, I actually like taking the car to get service or I actually like, you know, to shovel snow. I don't, I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> but then, you know, you <laughs> put that out there. So, yes, that's a man's role. I was going to do that. That would be the man's role. Um, no, but you do. It takes that communication because you want your relationship with anyone to look like Christ, right? Everything that we do in life, we desire to point people back to Christ and back to the word of God. And so it's not that gender roles are bad per se, but when we use that to put people down, when we use that you know, to keep individuals under our thumb or keep them from their God-given purpose, you know, if you were to say, oh, you're a woman, you can't publish a book because you don't have any, anything important to say, the devil is a liar because God could have created that woman to publish that book that will help men, right, and women alike. Amen, amen. Anyone else want to jump in on that one? I just want to say that when I refuse to walk in the role that God has given me as a woman, as a wife, as a mom, it creates chaos. It creates chaos in my life, it creates chaos in my marriage, it creates chaos um, in my home and in the church. Um, so it's really important to remember, like I love how beautifully Sarah put, um, and Dr. Bridget, um, that our role is not some subservient thing. It's God ordained and God created, it has a purpose. And when we, when we begin to walk in that, we no longer have to fit a, a square into a, a circle's hole and you know constantly fight against the brick. It doesn't work. So Amen. And I oh, just wanna I? as we transition to the next question, wanna say one of the what we should just mention is one of the reasons we have so much tension around gender roles is because there's a real thing around misogyny and sexism and women have been mistreated outside of the church and in the church. And I think in a, in a tent to correct real problems, we've swung the pendulum too far left and we've overcorrected and started claiming that true freedom for, for women is to disobey God's word. And so if we're trying to create problems in the church, we need truth. We don't go against truth in order to correct those problems. Mm -hmm. And so I think that both men and women need to lock arms in the body of Christ and speak truth. Men need to be affirmed by women in their role and that they are loved to be loved and respected and honored, not just in the context of marriage, but in all relationships. And men also need to be affirming women for their, for their giftings, for their callings, for their strength. Because if we only talk about women are the weaker vessel, we're missing all of the strength and influence and power that God intends for a woman to flow in at home, in the world, and in the church. Can I interject just quickly for single women? Because I think that this is something to think about and something that a lot of you, I know a lot of you in here are single women, to think about what do gender roles look like or what does being a woman look like and mean when you ain't got nobody to shovel the snow? Right? Like, let's be real, right? Like, is my identity as a woman only when I am related to a man in that way? And I think that it's important to understand that, as I was saying, you know, that we are creating the Imago Dei of God, that we are created in the Imago Dei to show off a side of God that men cannot show off. And that extends to whether we are in a relationship or outside, that we are called to be life givers 
in every situation, in every circumstance in which we live. So even how I act in the workplace, I'm not submitting to men unless they're my boss in the workplaces if they're my husband, because they're not. But I am supposed to conduct myself as a godly woman. I am ultimately in all of us, but if you need to understand submission in that context, are you submitting to God? Are you submitting to the maker that is your husband, right? In the sense, and that's not just for single women, but I think it's important to understand that your identity as a woman is no less significant if you are not in a marital relationship. You are every bit as woman, and your womanhood and the unique ways that God created you as a woman need to be on display as well. Amen, amen. I'm gonna say one thing to add to that, and then I'm gonna let them keep talking. Remember the verse says, it's not good for a man to be alone. It did not say husbands. That's key. Because it's not talking about merely marriage. It's talking about male humanity. So God making the woman wasn't for him to be at, her to be Adam's wife. It was for her to, 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 to help in what it meant to maximize God's glory on earth. So without a woman, man is unable to maximize what God wants from humans on earth. Amen. Same if woman was created first. And so I think, once we, we, I think when we say it's not good for man to be alone, we think husbands, when the text says man in general, which meaning mankind versus gender husband, I mean husband on the context of marriage. Amen, amen. Uh, so much of what we're talking about gets fleshed out you know, through women's ministry, through coming to church, being under the preach word, Bible study, but also friendship and women walking together with one another. So I want to toss this to Dr. Tiffany and then invite other people to jump in. Uh, why is godly friendship so important? Yeah, I mean, I always think about the fact that Jesus, fully God, fully man, didn't have a wife, but he had friends. He needed friends that in his, Humanity, friendship is a gift that is given to all of us. And I think we're really in a friendship crisis. I think this extends not just to women, but also to men, but we're here to talk about women, so we're gonna talk about women's friendships. And there's sort of two things that I often hear that are very troubling. One is that, you know, I only like guys, you know, I don't really get along with women, women are catty, women are competitive, women are this. Or once you are married that you no longer need female friendships in your life, that your husband's supposed to embody all the companionship that you need. And those are really, I think, tools of the enemy to keep us isolated within Christian community. And I think about um, scripture and how we see female friendships and even male friendships develop in scripture. And I always think of Luke 1 with Mary and Elizabeth. And they were cousins, but they were friends. They had an intimacy and a love for one another. And it talks about how, you know, when the angel visits Mary and tells her that she is going to have a child of the Holy Spirit, and this is the long-awaited Messiah, and she struggles with it, as all of us, I'm sure, would if we had such news. And, and she looks, to, and, and the angel then says to her, you know, how it's going to happen. She's like, how can this be? Like, I ain't been with a dude, I'm with Joseph, but we ain't never been together. How's this going to happen? And the Holy Spirit first tells her, you know, that this will come from the Holy Spirit. And that's usually where we end our Christmas story, like the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But that second part of what Gabriel says is so key to me. He says, and the one who was childless now has a, 
is now six months, he doesn't say pregnant, but you know, now has a child six months in her belly. And that's really interesting when you think about friendships because he's talking about her cousin Elizabeth, a woman who was older, a woman who had been praying to God who, for a child, and she has this child, she's now pregnant with the child for the first time. And when her and Mary get together, Mary goes, makes a beeline to go see her cousin, and they're excited to see one another, right? And literally, the Bible talks about them, their excitement talks about them shouting, and Elizabeth starts like declaring all these blessings on Mary, and she could have been bitter, right? Elizabeth could have been bitter looking at young Mary, who has this child and has been visited by God in this way. Instead, she is seeing that Mary's blessing is also her blessing. Yes. And that's what we really need to keep in mind of what friendships are partially designed to teach us to do. We learn how to love in friendships. We learn how to be with one another. We learn how to celebrate others when we ourselves may feel like we could have reasons to be bitter. And so I would challenge all of us. I know a lot of folks in here will pray for mates. They'll pray for their children's mates and all those things, and we should. But what I would say is, have you prayed for God-filled, spirit-filled friendships? Yes, yes, yes. Is that a priority in our life? If Jesus needed friends to walk with him, how much more than we need friends? Amen. Amen. Can somebody really quick, before we go to the next question, can you just, Pascal, share even what are some characteristics of godly friendship? Um, well, speaking personally, I have friends that will push me towards Jesus. Like they don't just, they don't amen everything I do. Um, I saw a meme the other day where this woman was talking about how she ran a guy over with a car. And her friend was like, well, he shouldn't have been in front of the car. <laughs> like, and I think that's just a perfect example of a yes man. Like, you want friends that are gonna challenge you. You want friends that are gonna, like I can't go to my friends and just drag my husband through the mud. I can't, they won't let me. Like, I, I need friends that are gonna point me towards Jesus, to tell me the truth about myself, to make me better. And also, in the spirit of Mother's Day, I, I wanna be an example to my daughter of what friendship looks like. Amen. And like you were saying, like, I never, I always heard people say, pray for your children's um, spouse or whatever. But I never heard anybody say, pray for your children's friend group. And friendship outlasts marriage. We're gonna be friends forever in heaven. So I think, not to say that one is more important than the other, but both are necessary. And I, I, I really long to be th that example for my daughter. And I'm thankful for the friends that I have that helped me to be that example for her. Amen, praise the Lord. Um, I wanna um, start in on this question, ladies. What do Christian women wish Christian men knew? What conversations are Christian women having about Christian men that they need to hear? Well, <laughs> I think that when it comes to how, well, first of all, I think as believers, we should all strive to think how Jesus thinks. So when we're talking about men, men of God need to strive to think about women the way Jesus thinks and deals with women. Um, and I think that in the church sometimes, women fall into two categories. Either if you're a married man, a woman is a tempter. Or if you're a single, single man, a woman is just a potential spouse. And I think that's just so dangerous and so wrong because we are so much more than those things. So much more, we are sisters, we are friends. There are times when I see people that 
um, come to greet me and my husband, they'll go right past me and shake his hand. Or we'll be in conversations and people will ask him a question. And he'll be like, well, she, she can answer that too. Like, she, she, has the, she has the Holy Spirit as well, y'all. Like, and I think, I, think, I think it starts young, like real young. Like, you ever like see someone disciplining their son and they're like, you acting like a girl. I feel like if you grow up in that, if I grew up in that, I, it would be hard for me to respect women and to think of women in a positive light when it, I'm scolded and being compared to a woman, you know what I mean? So I feel like for the sake of your sons and your, your their sons and other men under your influence, I think, I think we should really do a heart check and ask yourself, am I viewing women the way God wants me to view women? And then if you can answer honestly and say no, then work on that. Yes, sir. Amen. Miss Dale, Mother Dale. Mother Dale. Um, when I think of what a, a man should hear, um, I think of, uh, I don't know the verse, but it's like take care of widows, and I would, you know, people without a husband, just um, women in general. Most men, as they have already stated, um, it, uh, S uh, Sister Mobley <laughs> stated that um, you're, if you're single, you're just trying to get that man, so you stay clear of her. And if you're um, married, you're just taking care of your own family. And uh, a woman who has been left without a husband for whatever reason, um, ten, they need help too. Uh, they need their, uh, um, uh, they need sh their snow shoveled. Uh, they need maybe help with their trash or something broken in their house, electric, something. They need something. And as you're, the humanity folks are training uh, the men up to, you know, love their wives and their community. Maybe as a a, a large group, <laughs> don't go in there by yourself. But think about the women that need help in your community, in your local church body. Um, just think about that because most people just go home to their, um, you know, homes and and you know families. But that woman is going home alone. I'm in that predicament even now, now that my husband is uh, in a facility. So all the things that he used to do cannot be done. And like um, in the former session, they said, if you have a son, the son will come over. Well, sometimes, no, they don't have anyone. So I'm just asking men to think about, maybe as a group, um, to think about those women who do not have the help that they need. Um, to just, that's how you can live this thing that we're teaching about, because that's um, what the gospel does. It, you, you go out to save and deliver those, and, but before you preach to them, you're already making a difference in their lives by helping them. So I just, you know, throw that out to the men. Amen. Yeah, I think to underscore what everyone has said, I mean, that primarily that men would see us as their sisters above any other relationship, because that is our enduring relationship, that we are your sisters, and that whether you're in a dating relationship, whether you're married to us, whether you are looking out for us, to think of us as your family and your sister. And before you do things, think of us in that vein. Um, other kinds of things, I don't wanna tell all the conversations we have about <laughs> men in front of all of them, but the other thing I will say is that 
Clarity and directness is kindness to us. That being as clear and direct as a man um, to a woman, but just in general in life, let your yay be yay and your day be day, like that clarity and directness are a beautiful kindness when you deal with others. I think that covers a, a lot of things that a lot of women struggle with. I, I just want to say one more thing. Um, you know the scripture that says that they will know us by our love. I feel like we're, we are supposed to be the example for the world for how to treat women, for how men and women should relate. Like, we are the shining example. We are the example for the world for how friendships should be. So I feel like those should be priorities for us. We should invest in those relationships for the sake of glorifying the Lord, but also to be a witness to the, to the world. Amen. Anyone else? I agree. <laughs> um, just, you know, a little lightly, but firmly, um, pretending to be holy and knowledgeable about the world, a word, it's not cute, it's not cool, but rather really study your Bible, men, and get to know, get with other dudes who love Jesus, because God's word is true, iron really does sharpen iron. Amen. And I would just add to that some of the things that I hear and participate in talking about it, it, it's often very confusing for women when women are rightly given messages about holiness and modesty and being women of the word and all those sorts of things but then in the culture we see also sometimes Christian men not actually going after that thing and so um, so that, that part of someone else so, so if you're, so, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying how are Christian women and men supposed to actually have healthy relationships with one another if the women are being, the messages that women are getting is around godliness and holiness, but what we are witnessing is that you are attracted to the thing that's opposite of that. And so, and it, I think it would be important for men to also consider how on an unconscious level, what you feed your mind impacts how you view women. And so if you are someone who is dieting on pornography, that is gonna impact how you view women. If you're someone who visits websites and YouTube channels and you, 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 whether you follow them on Instagram or not, because you think somebody gonna look at who you follow, but you go to their page, <laughs> If you have a negative view, a misogynistic view of women, that is gonna impact how you relate to women, how you value women, and, and whether or not you would even wanna pursue a woman. And that's one of the major things that we often talk about is that we're told that women are supposed to wait to be pursued, right? And now we've got this messaging about women shooting their shot. And, we, and where are the men that are gonna be assertive and godly and in a godly, respectable way, approach women and have desire for marriage and not rest on being the world's most eligible bachelor because you outnumber women. So, um, so I just wanna end with this question. Um, as we are here on Mother's Day, if each one of you could take a, a few seconds and just share what is some of the best godly advice your mother has ever given you um, my mom always encouraged me to never count myself out. 
You know how there may be an opportunity that you wanna go for and then you tell yourself no in your head? Or we live in a culture, sexism is real, where people will discriminate against you because of your gender. And so my mom would always say, let them tell you no. You don't tell yourself no. And so I encourage all of you, if there's something that God has put in you to do, do that thing, regardless of the negative self-talk in your head or what other people might say. But make sure it's God, because you know how we be putting stuff on God that's not really him. <laughs> I love this question too, especially since I'm sure like many of you, my mother, has passed away, and so her advice and my memories of it are what I have left, right? And so one of the things, and this ties back to friendship, she would always say, and it used to drive me crazy, um, show me who your friends are and I will tell you who you are. You know, which is basically what scripture in Proverbs says about you know, bad company, corrupting good morals. And she would say that all the time when I was a child, and as a kid, your friends are the ones you go play double dutch with. I was like, all right, I mean, these are just people I hang out with or whatever, but as I've gotten older, that advice about friendship and also, as Pascal was talking about, the modeling of it. My mom had lifelong friends and just the way she would light up around these women and the way they would care for one another really has served as an example for me. And then I would be remiss if I didn't also say, my mother also said that as a woman, you never leave the house without your earrings on and a little something on your lips. So, you know, she kept it balanced. She kept it balanced there. Um, my mother um, gave me the verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Um, he, she trusted in the word of God. She loved God's word. And that's what she constantly told me to study, to um, take God's word in, to eat it, to ingest it, to study it, to um, uh, take it, let it become um, flesh to you. One of the things she always said was, uh, let, the uh, let the Holy Spirit lead you. She always said that. And to know the Holy Spirit, you have to know God and you have to know his word. So knowing those two things, I would trust in the spirit to awaken God's word in me so that I could live what was being taught to me, what I'm ingesting in, and the spirit become, uh, works with the word of God to make it alive, to make it present. So I, my biggest thing for my mother is she lived the life that others taught. She lived the life that others taught, and I want to do that as well. Amen. Just quickly, my mother always made a priority, the glory of God. And so for me, even being excellent or choices that I needed to make or things that I was wrestling with, decisions, it was always about your life not being your own and that you live for the glory of God. And so I've measured, I've been, I, her voice is in my head to measure everything about my life against the question, will God get glory from this? Uh, well, my, when my mom was here on earth, um, it wasn't so much her words, but it was her actions that she lived out. And one of the things I saw in her life, um, she wasn't monetarily rich, but she was generous. And I know that came from a place for her, uh, for a, a dependence on God will provide. Because I think sometimes when we are stingy and we hoard, it's because we believe the well will run dry. But if we believe we serve a God that will always meet our need, we can freely give. 
Um, for me, it wasn't so much advice, just kind of like how you said. Um, my mom, she modeled dependence on the Lord. Um, I remember I was getting picked on at school by a girl. My mom was like, all right, let's pray. And I was like, pray? <laughs> like, I don't need that. But now that I know the God who she was praying to, I see why she prayed to him and spoke to him so often. Um, for me, it was three different things. Um, one was taking time to pray and spend time with God. Um, she always told us that, but she didn't just tell us that, she modeled it. I can remember, and my sisters and I will still joke about it to this day, like coming home or waking up at like, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear somebody loud with an accent praying. It was mommy, always. But today, you know, like when I'm going through something, my instinct is to pray. I get that from her. And also she would sing, just burst out in song, singing and encouraging herself in a song. So I know sometimes when I get on my children's nerves now because I run songs over and over again, that's why. <laughs> um, another important thing she told me was cut your coat according to your cloth. Um, if that is not the best financial advice I ever got, <laughs> let me give you cut your coat according to your cloth. And then she always told me, it's better to try and fail than to fail to try. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand praise for these ladies. You can do better than that. Give God a hand praise for them. Amen. Amen. Um, I know all of us have memories um, of our mothers. I have fond memories of my mother. I know Epiphany Fellowship. Y'all don't know nothing about uh, nurses' uniforms. I do. Um, my mama used to wear her white nurse. Today would be a day she'd have on her white. She ain't go to nobody's nursing school. Uh, but it, if you know old black church, they were just there to fan you if you fell out. Um, <laughs> and um, um, another thing that I remember about my mom so much was um, she always made more food than enough. Um, because she always expected to be generous to somebody that came around. And there's a Bible that my mom gave me in 1990-91 uh, that was my first Bible. I didn't know they made anything else but the King James uh, Bible. So I would read the Bible and be confused with the hithers and thithers and all of that. And she gave me a Bible that was reader-friendly for me. And that was the Bible that ushered me into my salvation. So that was my fondest memory of my mom. And I hope that um, we've talked about beautiful things about our memory of our mom. But I pray that, um, I pray a few things. I pray that women here, you will make memories for the young people coming up. Um, whether you are a spiritual mom, whether you're a single woman, I pray that God would change the narrative and that social media even will change. And that in the next generation, there will be reels and it'll probably be something else by then that'll be available. We'll probably open up our hand and something will shoot out of it and we'll be able to walk around and look at it. Everybody, instead of looking down at their phone, will be looking up like this because it's like holographic images of telephones. You know what's ha gonna happen. We never thought we'd hold a TV in our hand, right? Um, but that there will, be, there will be hashtags with memories of the next generation remembering how they were impacted through the church, through the lives of godly women, amen? Amen. Well, let's stand together. Anybody didn't receive communion that wanted to receive it, uh, we have one in the back. We have, oh, good. Okay. I know we usually say 
uh, so many different things when it comes to communion or not that he was betrayed. That's good, but the communion is so much more than, it, it's, it's not so much more, but it's connected to not only doing this in memory of Jesus, but doing it in memory of what he did it for. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about the fact that um, there is no sociological differences at the cross. There aren't ethnic differences at the cross and there aren't gender differences at the cross. In, in other words, uh, everybody had to come in through the blood. And so Jesus' body wasn't broken. We need to stop saying that. Um, it wasn't. It was torn. But his body is the mechanism by which all of us, men and women, are able to enter the kingdom. Let us eat together. The blood. The blood represents the new DNA that we're in Christ. We're in God's family. And we're one in him. Let us drink together. Lord God, thank you for mothers and thank you for women. Lord, may they be more than affirmed. May uh, they be both affirmed and active. Lord God, and help us to uh, apply every beautiful thing that was communicated today. And as we celebrate mothers and we celebrate women today, we pray your grace on them today. We pray for those like me and different, uh, I know Sister Sarah and Dr. Gill, uh, we all lost our moms, so our moms aren't here. So for those whose mom is uh, in glory, who's, who's missing from earth, uh, but not missing from our memory, touch those who have fond memories of their mom and are missing them today, Lord. But those who have moms here, help them to celebrate them and, 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 and celebrate their memory and reconcile where reconciliation is needed. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him, our God and Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Everybody good with that said? Amen. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.